This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Session means to embrace and sustain the mind, big mind. How do you embrace big mind? You can let big mind embrace you. How do you sustain big mind? You can let big mind sustain you. I recently was looking at the uh, website of Shohaku Okamura Roshi's group. They do lots of session where they're embraced and sustained by big mind. And uh, they do uh, these very simple session, like just zazen and kinhin and orioki meals. In other words, no, no chanting, no Dharma talks, no Dokasan, no work period, nothing but uh, Zazen and Kenyan. And I think their Zazens are a little longer, like 50 minutes. And they started four or five and go, maybe they started five and go till 10. So I think they're, they're 14, 50 minute periods for seven days. And uh, it had on their website the uh, kind of online instructions for sashin, of which this kind of sashin, you don't need much. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even need Dharma talks, right? Because they say it all, it's four points. This is um, basically, it's all zazen, right? So, and zazen is summarized in just four basic practices. I thought this is pretty good. Again, this is the kind of thing like, if you forget how to practice <laughs> as the days go on uh, or, or everything seems too complicated, this is a good summary to fall back on. It's um, simply the four points are keep an upright posture, breathe naturally through the nose, keep your eyes open, a little bit looking down and uh, let go of thought. That's all. <laughs> I was impressed by, by these, how simple those instructions are. And if anybody had all kinds of detailed questions, well, how do we? Well, it's all there. There's nothing else needs to be said. And uh, let's say, well, then why do we have these extra practices like, um, like chanting and dharma talks and dokusan and work period? One way to say it would be uh, so that we can do the also simple, straightforward practice of just becoming completely one with the activity of the present. 
we can do that with zazen and kinin, of course, but this gives us more opportunity to become one with uh, service, chanting, bowing, become one with listening to a talk, become one with uh, meeting with the teacher, nothing extra, just meeting, uh, become one with the, with the work of Samu. So this is the liberation in Sashin is uh, if we become one with the present activity, it's a great relief. Like one time our lineage ancestor, Dungshan, was asked by a monk, how can we escape cold and heat? Cold and heat is just any difficult, unpleasant situation, like sitting in the same position for seven days or whatever it might be, uh, circling around the same thought patterns for seven days. These are like hot and cold. And uh, for those of you out of town, you might be surprised that here in Austin, um, during this December session, it's very hot. <laughs> I'm finding myself drenched in sweat under all these layers, minimal layers. The monk asked, how do we become free from hot and cold? How do we escape heat and cold? And Dongshan said, why don't you go to where there is no heat and cold? That would be an appropriate escape, <laughs> relief, wouldn't it? And the monk asked, well, where's the place where there's no heat and cold? And Dongshan said, when it's cold, let the cold kill you. And when it's hot, let the heat kill you. Become completely one with the heat, completely one with the cold. So there's no you in addition to the present experience. And this is the supreme escape not the usual kind of escape, but we try to get as far away from the experience as possible. But the escape where we try to get as close to the experience as possible. So close that we're not even close. We're just one with the experience of the present, Dungshan is our ancestor. Dungshan is the very toe of Soto Zen. The big toe of Soto. <laughs> so the wind of our house 
is such a practice. When it's hot, let the hot kill us. The wind of the house is the, the style of the lineage. What we're looking at in these talks this week is this particular wind of the house of our lineage. Sometimes modern scholars say, but isn't this lineage actually made up? Were these stories in this transmission of light record really true going back to Shakyamuni Buddha? And uh, we don't know if they're uh, historically true, but uh, it seems to me what we do know is that um, there almost surely was a person in this world system named Shakyamuni Buddha around 500 BC, probably not completely made up. Everything about him, all his sutras, we don't know for sure, but uh, I think it's fair to say there was an amazing being in this world that uh, realized something freshly and uh, newly in unprecedented way that was powerful enough that it's come down to us today. And not only that, it's not like it came down to us because somebody in uh, the 21st century wrote a book about Shakyamuni Buddha and it came that way. That happens too, but I think there's something a little more personal because uh, in India, there wasn't really writing in the old days, the time of the Buddha. Any teachings had to be transmitted orally, which means like from one mouth into another ear. It took like humans um, meeting for this teaching to get passed along. They also didn't have um, email and Wi-Fi and YouTube and, and uh, all these ways to meet virtually. They had to meet like face to face. And uh, because they weren't reading books, at some point later, maybe people were reading the stories and got them that way um, in later part of the Indian transmission. But even then, of course, there were many, many people practicing in person. So I think it's fair to say that there was a face-to-face -face meeting from Shakyamuni Buddha, definitely to Mahakashyapa and Ananda in his lifetime. From there, there must have been face-to-face -face meetings. There had been some other names involved that are lost in the mists of time. There must have been a way that the, uh, the teaching got passed down. And there must have been more than just the teaching. There must have been some understanding, some experience, and some realization of it, 
or it would have died out long ago as just some interesting artifacts. Bodhidharma is a kind of misty character. Probably there was someone who was, came from India to China around that time and brought uh, a unique kind of simple practice. So this early transmission in China uh, is a little obscure. Some people try to track down Bodhidharma, but by the time of uh, the fourth ancestor, I mean, we're pretty sure there's various different records that talk about the second and third ancestors, but um, um, I have some sense visiting China that um, by the time we get to the fourth ancestor, uh, that the lineage, um, the historical lineage from the fourth ancestor, whose temple I visited and whose stupa um, I visited on the mountain. So there was a tangible sense that that person lived and um, passed something on to the fifth ancestor whose temple I also visited. And from the sixth ancestor on, uh, it's quite historical up to this temple's founder, Shunbo Zenke Daiosho, and the present day uh, lineage holders. So um, people say, well, it's all made up anyway. Maybe some of the Indian names are variations and there might be some others, but uh, my trust is that there really was a face-to-face -face transmission of something vital and uh, worthwhile from the time of the Buddha up to today. And in China where they kept records, I think it's pretty accurate from the time of the fourth ancestor up to today. So today we're looking at the story of Kanadeva or Aryadeva, the disciple of Nagarjuna. We're pretty sure that Nagarjuna was an actual person in the second century of India who wrote a lot. We know him through his writings. And Kanadeva was an actual disciple of Nagarjuna, whose writings we still have. Whether this story happened like this or not, historically, this is, um, this is the oral transmission of our Zen lineage, this story. The 15th ancestor was Venerable Kanadeva, the one-eyed celestial being. And he had a meeting with Mahasattva, Nagarjuna. And when he was about to reach the gate, Nagarjuna, knowing that Kanadeva was a person of great wisdom, had his assistant place a bowl of water in front of him. Kanadeva approached the gate, 
stood in front of the bowl of clear water, saw it, and cast a needle into the bowl of water and presented it to Nagarjuna. And they met each other and joyfully realized they were of like mind, their understandings matched. They met each other, here is in Japanese, shoken, which means mutual seeing. And uh, we don't have in our lineage this specific practice, but as I understand it, in maybe it's more Rinzai lineage practice called shoken. The first time you meet the teacher that you want to practice with, you um, I think like traditionally maybe you offer some incense and uh, and buy them and request that kind of relationship. And then you meet with them again, but that first meeting I think is called shoken. So it's used in the tradition for just a mutual seeing meeting. Of course we have shoken, but we don't limit it to the first meeting with the teacher. So yesterday we heard about these circumstances and uh, this is now the beginning of Keizan Zenji's Teisho, the sections of the transmission of light record. Start with the koan case, story of the water and the needle, some background stories we heard yesterday, and then Teisho, really it's, um, Nente, it says in the Denkaroku, sometimes, occasionally, it says Teisho. Nente is like picking up and holding and presenting. And the same Te as Teisho. Te is like uh, holding up and show is like, like a song or a chant or a shout. So like holding up the song, holding up the shout, presenting the uh, shout of the house wind. Kazan begins, this story we just heard is not ordinary. From the first, Kanadeva was one with the way Nagarjuna does not say a word, nor does Kanadeva hear a word, right? In their first meeting, it was just a bowl of water and a needle. Therefore, it's hard to say that they are teacher and disciple. How can guest and host be distinguished? The meeting was so complete wordless and intimate. How can there be distinguishing teacher and student, guest and host? As a result, Kanadeva promoted the wind of the house, the kafu, and in the end it was known all over India as the Deva school, the Kan short for the Kanadeva the school. Why wasn't it known as the Nagarjuna school? Because he was like more 
famous. So I don't know about the, the history here, but it was known all over the India as the, and China as the Deva school, the Kana Deva, Arya Deva school. Uh, it's like the saying, filling a silver bowl with snow, hiding a heron in the moonlight. You know that saying? That's a saying from, from our big toe, Yongshan, in his jewel mirror samadhi that we sometimes chant in this hall. And uh, filling a silver bow with snow, hiding a heron in the moonlight. Dungshan says when you take in as similar, they're not actually the same. And when you mix them, you still know where each is. Filling a silver bowl with snow. It's the snow is kind of like the color of the silver bowl. So it's like mixing silver and silver, mixing white and white. But when you mix them, you still know where each one is. That's the style of uh, the Kamadeva school, the Deva school. And uh, you could say the story beautifully demonstrates that here, speaking of teacher and student as um, mixed, but we can still tell them apart. But also, this is the teaching of Nagarjuna and Kanadeva, that um, the ultimate truth of emptiness, total, spacious, ungraspability, and the relative truth of the 10,000 appearances of this world are mixed inseparably. We can't separate the two truths even with a crowbar. But when you mix them, you still know where each one is. You can still talk about um, the unity of the space of emptiness and the 10,000 things. We can talk about them separately, but they can't actually be separated. That's a valid description of the school of the middle way of the Arjuna and Kamadeva. But uh, did Kazan quote this Jumir Samadhi line here? Maybe because uh, case number 13 in the Blue Cliff Record, a monk asked the Chinese Zen teacher Ba Ling, what is the Deva school? What is the Kana Deva school? So there's something about this Kana Deva school. At least in China, they asked questions like this. I think this question was asked more than once in the, in the old uh, koan cases. But in this case, a monk asked Baling, what is the Kanadeva school? And Baling says, filling a silver bowl with snow. Again, quoting Dungshan's jewel mirror samadhi. So here, um, maybe referring to that story, Kazan says, all over India, this was known as the Deva school. It's like that saying, 
filling a silver bowl with snow, hiding a heron in the moonlight. Because this is the way it was when they first met, a bowl filled with water was placed before them. How can you say that the water has inside or outside? This is a little commentary on the nature of wa water. 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 People say that um, I have a Northeast American accent sometimes. It's really what, how, how does that sound? I say, well, whenever you say water. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know about that. This is like the miracle of causes and conditions. I didn't train in the way of saying water. It just comes that way. And I pretty much can't say it any other way. Sorry about that, it's the way it is. Because this is the way it was. When they first met, a bowl filled with water <laughs> was placed before them. How can you say the water has no inside or outside? I mean, how can you say the water has inside or outside, right? Isn't when you look at water? <laughs> How can you say that it has inside or outside? We can make up stories about the, the inner part of the water and the outer part of the water, but um, it's like one unified sphere, isn't it? Especially a big bowl of water big silver bowl of water. How can you say it has inside or outside? Since the bowl is full, nothing is missing and the water is deep and clear. We're opening to this, this description of water here. It is pure right to the bottom and wondrously bright in its fullness. Therefore, Kanadeva thrust a needle into it and they experienced a merging of mind. What was Kanadeva doing with a needle? In the old days and in the modern days and in the Theravada path of um, being content with little, the uh, monks have eight requisites. We carry on this tradition to some extent. As I recall that the eight requisites, this is all they need. This is all anyone really needs, but we don't mind having some, some additional things too. But all we really need is a, a, um, a nine panel robe when it gets cold, a seven panel robe when it's like around this temperature, a five panel robe, like a rakasu, for when it's warm, a, um, a sitting cloth to bow on so that our robes don't get dirty on the ground, an eating bowl, just the right amount, 
orioki means just the right amount vessel. And, uh, and then in addition, we need a razor to shave our head. Uh, the monks needed this, a, um, a water, a water, a water filter because um, they don't want to get Yardia drinking from the creek. So that's like a piece of cloth in the Buddha's time. And a needle because you have to repair those robes and make new ones when they wear out. Maybe some thread would be useful, but um, that could be begged at the time it's needed. Awesome, isn't it? The, the Buddha grew up as a prince in the palace and um, later after his awakening, he thought, actually all I need, really need is these eight things. It's nice to have a cup. I mean, could use the Oriyoki bowl to drink the water, but um, cup's nice too. And uh, it's nice to have a stick like this so we can like reach up and, and hook the sky and pull it down. Microphone like this so we can talk into it. Nice to have a lectern like this to hold the books. Nice to have a bookmark to mark the page. This bookmark says, what's the meaning under the patch robe? So maybe that's why Kanadeva had a needle with him. He was supposed to. And when he, um, he came across this pure bottomless water filling a silver bowl, this, uh, this water with no inside or outside, this water with nothing missing, the water that's deep and clear, pure right to the bottom, wondrously bright in its fullness. When Kanadeva came across such a bowl, when he met his teacher, kind of like in the form of his bowl. It sounds like the bowl is like in front of Nagarjuna. So before he could even speak with Nagarjuna, what he really came across was this empty fullness, this bright clarity, lacking nothing. And when he saw this water, when he met with this water, when he realized this water, he pulled out a tiny, sharp, simple, direct needle. A needle that can pinpoint exactly this. A needle thinner than an acupuncture needle. A needle sharper than edge of a water chestnut and this bowl of water rounder than a lotus leaf was verified in presence with a single needle 
passed into that pure water. The meeting, it's not just a matter of pure water, pure empty water. It's a matter of uh, when coming across the pure water, it's a matter of accurately, clearly verifying this principle. Therefore, Kanadeva cast through a needle into this water and they experienced merging in the uh, transmission document that Dogen Zenji received from his teacher, Rujin Chanshu. It includes all the names of the ancestors and then Rujin wrote on it, uh, Buddhas and ancestors, life vein, verified, merged. It's the same character here, merged. We have that, um, that document of Dogen's that can still be seen in the storehouses of Eheji. And um, ever since the time of Dogen, as far as we know, uh, when, um, when the lineage is passed on, this document is copied. Now in English, we write the word merged for this character. The teacher writes this, like Rujin wrote this on the document. It must be, it must have pierced the bottom and pierced the top. Or it must have, another translation says, it must have discerned the bottom and discerned the top. Here, there is neither upright nor inclined, which is our big toes way of talking about um, the ultimate and the relative in the jewel mirror samadhi. Upright and inclined is a Chinese poetic way of talking about the ultimate and the relative. But here, there's neither ultimate nor relative in this meeting. At this point, it's hard to distinguish teacher and disciple. Kazan says, taken as similar, they're not the same. When you mix them, there's no trace of the mixture. He almost quotes the dual mirror samadhi and tweaks the last line. The dual mirror samadhi says, taken as similar, they're not the same. When you mix them, you know where they are. But here, Kazan says, taken as similar, they're not the same. When you mix them, there's no trace. This matter is manifested in the raising of the eyebrows and blinking the eyes. And it is revealed in seeing forms and hearing sounds. This translator Francis Cook, in parentheses here, um, seeing forms 
as in Lin Yun seeing peach blossoms and awakening, hearing sounds in parentheses, as in Xian Yan hearing the sound of pebble striking bamboo and awakening to the way. Those are like old Chinese stories of um, instant, um, instantly becoming one with the experience that Dogen likes to bring up. But that's the, that's the uh, translator's interpretation. We could just say any of hearing sounds, any seeing forms is, is the revealing of this matter. What matter? The empty, clear water filling the silver bowl with no inside or outside and um, verified in one moment with a tiny needle. There is nothing you can call sounds and forms and no seeing or hearing to be abandoned. In other words, to meet with this empty, clear, all-pervading water, we don't have to abandon the sound of the fountain and the droning um, Connecticut accent. And we don't have to abandon seeing the same old Zendo walls and floors. It is round and bright without any signs like the transparency of pure water. It's like seeking the sharp point when you get to the bottom of the spiritual principle. You display the sharp point everywhere, ever so bright, it pervades the mind. Water, too, flows and pervades everything or passes through everything. Boring through mountains and inundating the heavens. That's how water is. It can bore through solid rock. A needle also penetrates a thick bag and pierces a mustard seed. That's how sharp a needle is. It can pierce a tiny mustard seed and carve the entire uh, heart sutra into a mustard seed, that kind of needle. Moreover, water is not overcome by anything. Or another translation says, water is not ripped apart by anything. You can't tear apart water. And even less does it leave any traces. A needle is also harder than a diamond. A vajra is, a, is the term for diamond-like indestructibility that uh, nothing can overcome or destroy. Can such a needle and water be other 
it's not clear what other means here. Other from each other, other from each other, or other than this right now. They are your own bodies and minds. Swallowed completely. It, and uh, I would understand this it here to be water. Swallowed completely. This water. Oh, right. The water swallowed completely is just a single needle. Nothing else left out or added. Or this one, this translation actually just says swallowed completely. It is just a needle. So if you're up for needle swallowing, <laughs> that's, that's okay too. But given what Kazan says later, I think I would take this as like, you could translate it as a, when it's, when the water is swallowed completely, there's, there is just a needle, nothing else left. When vomited out, it's just pure water. When swallowed completely, there's just a single needle left. When vomited out, just pure water left. Therefore, the paths of teacher and disciple merge. It's the same word, merge. And there's no self and other at all. When their when they're life vein merges to this document that Rujin gave to Dogen says, Buddhas and ancestors lifeline verified merged. Maybe Kazan's referring to his, his own document that probably says this too. When they're myomyaku, when their life vein merges and there is truly transparency. This realm cannot be concealed anywhere in the 10 directions. It's like gourd vines wrapping around gourds, climbing here and climbing there, like these vines. It's just your own mind. Nevertheless, Although you can understand the pure water, you must fully experience it and clarify this needle lying at the bottom. If you make a mistake and swallow the needle, it will end up sticking in your throat. We can understand the pure water, but we must fully experience and clarify the needle in the water. So in the, in the Tibetan great perfection tradition called Dzogchen, uh, it's said that um, we do need to understand uh, the nature of this water through like words and, and um, 
That's why we have talks like this, and why Kaysan has talks like this. So maybe there's some understanding. We're warming up to, uh, to understanding what's meant by that which has no inside or outside, that which is bottomless to the depth, clear, uh, pure, and bright. We can understand this, but then we must have some experience of it because in the Dzogchen tradition, they say uh, the uh, understanding is like the mist. Uh, and when the sun comes out, it just, it kind of evaporates. What was that again? Oh yeah, something, yeah, water. I can't remember. A conceptual understanding can evaporate. So we need some, some sharp, um, pointed experience, just a moment of experience. But then in this tradition, they say that, but this experience is like a patch, like sewn onto the, a worn knee of the pants. And um, it holds up a little bit, but eventually the patch is going to fall off too. So then we need... Um, that tradition uses is like realization, which is more like not really different than the momentary experience, but more like letting it pervade um, all, all experiences. So very, very much like this, Kazan says here, although you can understand the pure water, you must experience it and then clarify, or we could say, realize the full extent within every situation. The needle lying at the bottom of this silver bowl of water. And if you make a mistake and swallow this, this particular pointed verification and uh, hold on to it, in any way, then, um, then it'll end up sticking in the, in the throat. Sounds quite painful. Now, this is so, do not think dualistically. You must try to think about it carefully. This is for shirio. It's up in the Fukanza Zengi in terms of not thinking. Non-thinking, hishirio. Um, but here, you must shirio it. You must think about this carefully. At least right now, before we go back to zazen. You must think about it carefully while swallowing totally and vomiting totally. Even though you're aware of purity, and spaciousness, transparency, and pervasiveness. You must surely be as vast and firm as a diamond. The three calamities of water, fire, and wind cannot touch it, and it will remain undisturbed throughout the cosmic eons of formation, abiding, extinction, and non-existence. 
this is Indian cosmology for these vast kalpas, vast, vast scales of time. Um, start with a, a big bang, and there's an eon of um, formation, and there's an eon of abiding, like hanging out on various planets. And there's an eon of disintegration where even the planets themselves start breaking apart. Stars all explode and so on. And then the uh, and then the then the empty eon is after the extinction of one universe and before the emerging of the next universe, there's an empty eon where nothing is happening. That's why in Zen, they uh, sometimes say, um, you know, who are you before the empty eon? That's the one we want to know. So in this case, uh, the, um, these, these um, calamities that destroy the eon, destroy the universe, that's how the old Indians think is that the universe will be destroyed by water, fire, and wind. Could be so, but uh, but these these you know galactic firestorms don't touch it, and it will remain undisturbed throughout these eons of universes arising, abiding, ceasing, and no universes. Even in the empty eon when there's no universe at all, that doesn't touch it. That's the kind of it that um, we're devoted to this week. Kazan always ends his chapter with a verse. He says, I have some humble words concerning this story. Would you like to hear them? One needle, one needle fish hook. So in this verse, Kazan turns the needle he bends the needle into a fish hook. One needle fish hook fishes up all the water. Wherever fierce dragons go, it's hard to conceal the body, their bodies. Dragon may be referring to Nagarjuna, whose name in, in um, in Chinese is dragon tree. Nagas are like dragons. One fish hook needle fishes up all the water. Wherever fierce dragons go, it's hard for them to conceal their bodies. Do you have any questions this morning? Say the verse again. One needle hook fishes up all the ocean water, or another translation says, one needle uses up all the water. It does have a word in there for hook. One needle hooks up all the water, one needle uses up all the water. Wherever fierce dragons go, it's hard for them to conceal their bodies. Yes. 
if the needle is discernment and the discernment is hooked, how do you make the hook without delusion? If the needle is discernment and the needle is hooked, how do you make discernment without delusion? Yes. Dogen in, in uh, maybe his One Bright Pearl essay, somewhere Dogen says, um, our ancestors um, fished with a straight hook. They just hung a needle on a line and um, nothing got caught there. So, yeah, maybe actually helps to, um, to not um, bend our needle into a hook. Just, just um, with a very tippy tip of the needle that's so sharp that there's, that it's like one point with that one pointed tip of the needle, touch the water for a moment and, uh, and then swallow the water completely. And uh, so there's nothing left but the tip of the needle, uh, but lest the needle gets stuck in our throat, vomit it all out. And the whole ocean is, is in a puddle before us. Yeah, we don't want the needle to get stuck in our throat. So if it's a straight needle, uh, it has less chance of doing so. And also it helps to remember that uh, when we look carefully at what is the nature of this, of this tiny sharp needle? Where did this needle come from anyway? We look closer and closer at the needle and we see that it's actually nothing but water. So if we, if we hold the needle as something in addition to the water, then um, it can get stuck in our throat. If you make a mistake and swallow the needle instead of just the water, the needle gets stuck in our throat. Yes? It sounds like Dogen may have been viewing the Buddha's luck suspended in space, moved from below. It sounds like he was getting hooked in the way you store it. Worked up, do or die. I'm not sure what is what he was precisely. Uh, you mean with his rant? With his rant. Oh yeah. Was the, word to use. the image came to mind. Mm. It's a small bone. Yeah. Space. Yeah. You. Yeah, Dogen was viewing this relic and he doesn't talk about it like that. He just said, I went to the relic hall and paid my respects. So I don't know in those days where it was like, but I had to, they kind of like ushered me and these other Chinese pilgrims into the relic hall. And uh, and I think they had us like, before you go in, start, start reciting, 
Namo Shukyamuni for Namo Shukyamuni for Namo Shakyamuni Buddha. And like, we'll all get going. Like, okay, come up one at a time now. So in a way, they kind of hooked me. I got kind of hooked. <laughs> but uh, maybe Dogen didn't get hooked, but maybe then when Dogen was walking down the corridor and, um, and saw the, um, the painting of the gardener depicted as a full moon, he might have gotten a little hooked because he, that's when he went on kind of a rant. He's like, well, why did they paint him like that? Well, don't you know the story? The gardener is painted, is, de- is manifest the full moon shape. That's why he's painted that way. Dogen said, um, that's not my understanding of that story. And uh, so I think he, uh, I think really uh, he wanted to have a, a meeting with somebody at Aiwang Shan and he couldn't find anybody to play with. And um, was he hooked by that, um, by that disappointment? Maybe, but maybe not. Because we all like to play, right? Nobody wants to do this alone. That's why uh, these ancestors were, were very concerned um, about playmates. They like, this thing's hanging by a thread. If we don't find out some playmates soon, the whole thing is gonna just fade away into oblivion. So, thanks. Thanks for playing this morning. <laughs>